Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So, the next sequel that we're going to be covering is a goodie. When I think about so many movies that we've covered over the last almost four years, actually, it's almost our anniversary. It's almost exactly four years in a few weeks. Wow. Unreal. What a fun ride. Glad you've been along with us. If you're new, welcome. But yeah, over the last four years, there's so many movies from my childhood when I revisit it. Uh, they just didn't hold up too well, but the next one we're going to be covering, man, still so good. Problem Child 2. And it was great because for it, I got to interview the director, Brian Levant. Brian is someone from, like he said it himself, from such a young age. He loved watching TV. He loved movies. He was a student of doing that. And then from there, we talked about his journey that touched, really, he worked with a few of our former guests and uh, Bill Bickley, who worked on Happy Days. So as soon as Brian, during the interview, mentioned that, I go, oh, Bill Bickley. So we talked about that a little bit, uh, working at Happy Days at such a young age, at the age of 23. And then one cool connection in his career is Leave it to Beaver. So you see, you'll hear in the interview, you know, he loved it as a kid. And there's two big things he did later in life, which is pretty neat. And I think it's great because Problem Child 2 is his first, like, theatrical directing role. And that is really what, what took off. So we got to talk about, obviously, Jingle All the Way, Flintstones a bit. But uh, one thing I love talking about, toys. He loves toys. So we talk about, like, the creation of the Turbo Man doll and his book, My Life and Toys. Great coffee table book. His brother-in-law it's a big-time photographer, uh, so great pictures, great cover to the book, too. If you're a Beatles fan, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy that. So I'll put a link to that in the episode notes so you can check it out uh, because it's super cool. And we talk about his collecting a little bit, where it started, and some of his favorites that he has. But we talked about TV, things that we do like, things we wish would uh, get remade. And uh, he was kind of the, the original like TV requel. So we'll talk about that, too, when he did the Leave it to Beaver series that was on in the late 80s on the Disney Channel. Pretty neat story. So, yeah. So do me a favor. Before I start the interview, please, please, please subscribe, like, share. Use YouTube. Go on YouTube. Even if you're listening to this, subscribe when you get a chance because it does help us you know, reach world domination. That's why we're in this, right? <laughs> so uh, you might hear uh, my son Jack behind me because I'm recording this with him. It's been a crazy week, but it's going to get better for you, just like it did for me when I got to revisit this episode editing. So without further ado, here is director Brian Levant. So yeah, Brian, what I like to do with this, I love to find out because every story, every movie, TV show, you know, has a beginning, has an origin story. So uh, your origin story, where did you grow up? Uh, uh, no, my origin story is, uh, uh, very s simple. I, I was born on the planet Krypton and <laughs> was sent okay. to by, by my scientist parents. No, uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, uh, I grew up in the, uh, suburbs of, of Chicago. Nice. And, uh, and I grew up in an explosive era, uh, where television sets in homes and viewership skyrocketed and for the first time in the history of man you could sit in your home and and images were broadcast 
live to you. People, uh, Americans were already trained by, by, by radio to sit in a room together and, and stare at something. Now there was something worth staring at. And, <laughs> and, you know, and I was, and I grew up in an era of high energy, explosive entertainment, uh, howdy doody, Rudy Kazooty. Uh, Captain Kangaroo was very mellow, but the rest of them, they, they, were, they went for the throat, you know, uh, uh, they killed <laughs> vaudeville and, and, and energy. And in Chicago, actually, uh, the Bozo show, the Bozo was a syndicated show uh, by Larry Harmon, uh, who, who, you know, uh, hit with it in Los Angeles and decided to sell it to individual stations. The one in Chicago ran for 41 years, <laughs> far, oh longer, far longer than any of its kind. But uh, but this was the entertainment that I that I was drawn to that was built for me. While at the same time, I was very fortunate that that uh, that uh, my my mother in particular steered me so much into watching every week Jack Benny, Burns and Allen, Bob Hope, uh, Red Skelton, Jackie Gleason, without Sid Caesar, for God's sake. Um, yeah. With, that you didn't know you, you were getting an education in comedy. And, and so uh, I very much, and I think the, the, third, the third part of that wheel was the kind of family entertainment that you saw particularly on ABC in the late fifties and, and and really up into into nineteen seventy, which was you know, Leave It to Beaver, the Donna Reed Show, Ozzy and Harriet, and My Three Sons. Um, I mean, yeah. those shows were literally on back to back to back to back, <laughs> and shows like, just like, unreal when you really yeah. think about it. Yeah, like they had that great of a lineup. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, hey, when I was in college, the CBS Saturday Night lineup was. Was all in the family: Mash, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and Carol Burnett. Today they don't even program. They don't program Saturday nights. They'll put no. on a college football game or something. But but uh, just shows how, how viewing habits have changed uh, in television in general. But um, but you know, it's kind of my 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 humor and my work have kind of really evolved from those three sources. And and I I I never wanted to be a niche filmmaker. I wanted to play to the widest possible audience. Uh, I, before I was a film director, you know, I spent uh, uh, close to twenty years doing episodic TV, uh, uh, starting on Happy Days when it was the number one show when I was twenty three years old. Uh, and wow. What year was that? What, uh, seventies? Well, that, that was, that was 19. I was, uh, I think my first episode was in 1976. And oh, okay. I interviewed, uh, William Bickley. I don't know if he was still there then. Uh, uh, just, uh, he actually, uh, came and helped out in, uh, one of my classes, uh, this past fall. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, a good guy who I, I worked for at the beginning of my career and then he and his partner Michael Warren had stepped back a lot and, and so it, it was uh, he, he worked for me which I'm sure was very uncomfortable for him <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, a great guy and anyways uh, Happy Days was as good a training ground as you could ever find with uh, uh, you know Gary Marshall 
uh, had a nose for finding people who he believed could work in his system. And his system was pretty easy. It was highly collaborative. It was competitive. It was, it was people with, with, with a strong work ethic, people who were collaborative, and, 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 and he prized energy and he prized participation. And, and, and he, you know, they didn't call it team building in those days, but that's what he was great at. He, he cloaked it as, as a family. You know, and he treated people like family. And, and and if you've ever been in business with anyone in your family, you know they're trying to screw you financially. So, <laughs> but but he did it in the nicest possible way. Uh, and, and and you know, there's probably hundreds of notable people uh, who who benefited uh, from 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 his his finding them and nurturing them. Uh, including including William S. Bickley, who uh, was I think yeah. 24 years old, uh, maybe 25 years old, when he started producing Happy Days, when he'd never produced uh, a network show. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. He told me how nervous he was because just before that, the only shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, what led to what was that journey like from being a kid watching TV and knowing it was something that you wanted to play to a wide audience? What was that journey to land that job at 23? Well, uh, I, I went to a lot of movies. I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I, I cobbled together, uh, you know, with, with my grades in, in high school, I wasn't getting into NYU or USC or UCLA, but I still managed to cobble together a, a, a wonderful film education. Uh, I, I attended four different colleges, uh, New Mexico, where I finally graduated from Arizona, the Art Institute of Chicago and CalArts. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I was never a technical filmmaker. I couldn't, in those days you had to load a 16 millimeter camera in the dark. Now, how the hell was I going to do that? You know, I, 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 you know, as trouble, trouble with a hammer, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, so, but I had ideas and, and I, like I said, I, I really studied, studied TV. And, and when I talk about this, the, the Saturday night lineup on CBS, I know it so well because I didn't go out. <laughs> I watched those shows and I tried to see how they were telling stories, how they were using their characters, how they were developing their characters, how they sustained their success. And, and those, and I still had a mountain to climb knowledge wise when I started breaking in, but I had good ideas and they gave me the time and the place to learn and learn how to be successful and learn how to maintain success and and how and how 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 to how to channel all of your knowledge and energy into producing some a, a weekly an, an amazing you every week you birth a child <laughs> you create something yeah. and you send it out into the world uh, and and it's a tough yeah, but my first year in the majors, so to speak, uh, when, after they invited me to join the staff on, on Happy Days for the 77-78 season, I did, in, in, from one season to the next, I did 51 episodes of television, 27 Happy Days, 24 Please Stand By, a 
syndicated show uh, created by Bill Bickley and his then partner, Michael <laughs> T. Warren, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and did episodes for other series as well. And after that year, I went from being, you know, a, a gangly, uh, unsure rookie to a kind of a veteran comedy writer. Uh, that was quite a, a, an indoctrination period. And, uh, and, and I acquired a tremendous amount of knowledge. Uh, and from there, I tell my students, you know, that, that, that it's how important it is just to, to do the job, to arrive on time, to be, to be ready, to know things that I can't tell you how many times that my career advanced because other people didn't show up. They didn't do the job that they yeah. were hired to do. And thus opportunity went to other places and people who showed that they wanted and were willing and capable of handling those responsibilities. And, and I also tell my students, it's not, you know, when I went to, when I was in college, there were maybe 20 film programs in the country. Now you have hundreds and you're not yeah. just competing against every graduate from these 200, say, film institutions, but you're also competing against the best from around the world who want to come to Hollywood. And, and this has been ongoing since, you know, Eric von Stroheim landed in the early 20s here. And, <laughs> and no, and, you know, this is, this is where the worldwide fame is. This is where uh, the bigger money is. This is, you know, and that's why people... Uh, I've always been attracted and have more opportunity when you, you look at uh, what was the best picture, a couple of Korean film. Was, who would have ever thought? Yeah. No, no not even in English. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is a tough business. When I, when I entered the Writers Guild, I believe there were 1,800 members. Today, there are 10,000 members, two-thirds of which uh, make the I believe it's a close to $39,000 a year that it takes to maintain their health insurance. Wow. And that's a lot. Are, that's a lot of writing. That's a lot of well, there's 480 scripted shows out there today, <laughs> wow. I've heard. And there's a lot of opportunities. However, the game has changed. Like I said, my first year on Happy Days, they shot 27 episodes. Today, today, yeah. young Sheldon does eighteen. I'll I'll be surprised. Uh, and and on streaming, it's eight or ten episodes for for a season. And still, they are ma trying to squeeze writing staffs down in number, and and that you can no longer have a series job that you can support a family on, <laughs> in and of itself. You know, you're not seriously. You're you're not working seven months a year. You're not working eight months. A year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. The time is is really condensed, and maybe the product is a little better, and maybe you have more time on each one. But overall, uh, overall, it's 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 become more difficult. So I've heard. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any do you have like a theory on why that uh especially network tv that they're cutting down episodes well that, like that, say like a young that, sheldon well you know leave it to beaver used to do 39 a year 
Yeah, all those shows. That's why it's so shocking when you look at like the Munsters. You look at IMDb or anything for like the Munsters or any of those old shows. You're like, oh, that must have been on for a few years. No, it was on for like two years, but they shot like 40 episodes, right? No, 78 episodes of the Munsters. 70? Yeah. Oh, I mean like 40 a year. Yeah, yeah. thirty nine. So, well, yeah, right around there. Right, and and don't forget that the monsters was uh, uh, done by Leave It to Beavers uh, creators, uh, uh, Bob Moser and Joe Connolly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. one thing that's cool. Whenever I talk to someone, and just by looking at their IMDb, sometimes they could tell a story. And I think yours is really neat, especially after mentioning. I could have guessed that Leave It to Beaver was a show that you watched as a kid. So I'm sure that had like some seminal moment because throughout all your writing that you do on so many different shows in the eighties and producing the new leave it to beaver. Like how long did you have the idea to develop that show? When I got to LA in the spring of, uh, of 1975, I made a list of things I wanted to do. Uh, the second one on that list uh, were three words, still the beaver. And this emanated from when I was in high school and uh, was after school uh, 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 watching, watching uh, an episode in, uh, in my friend's parents' uh, uh, little den on a black and white TV. And I'm watching Beaver and I said to myself, now this is, this is six, seven years after the show went off the air in, in, in June of 63. And, and I said, I wonder what those guys are doing today. And that seed of an idea stayed with me and grew and grew. And after I had some credibility when I put a show on the air that premiered after the Super Bowl and produced uh, two seasons of the Bad News Bears series, nice. I teamed up with another Happy Days guy, uh, Nick Abdo, and we uh, started knocking on Universal's door to do a movie of the week, a revival. And it was uh, a, a very, it took years to get there. Um, and it was tremendously successful, despite my disappointment with the work uh, of the director. And had I not been so unhappy with that, I would have said, job well done. Instead, I said, damn, this could still be so much better. And, uh, <laughs> and we decided to turn it into a series. We found a very willing partner in the Disney Channel, uh, which at that time was a pay service. And, yeah. uh, and we made 26 episodes of Still the Beaver, the most successful show in the history of the Disney Channel, meeting in Disney <laughs> Channel homes, all network and cable competition, an 80 share in Disney Channel homes on our premiere. Um, and, and so they canceled us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, and it really was an argument over theme parks in Orlando, as Universal was intending to invade, and now has landed and built a, a, a park in, in Disney's stronghold of Orlando. So, oh. um, so, but uh, whether they just wanted to get even, or they really did have a soft spot for the series, which was one of two series. That, uh, that that they owned when Lou Wasserman bought the studio in like 1958 or nine. Uh, and that was Alfred Hitchcock Presents in Beaver. So they kept wow. it in production until they found another home, which turned out to be Ted Turner's WTBS. Ted was a huge fan and 
he gave us the what was then the largest episodic order in the history of television, 74 more episodes. And so we spent many, year, many happy years in Mayfield. And during that time, uh, and especially after Nick left and, and more and more of the production and post-production duties fell to me beside the writing and producing the show and, and, and directing a lot of them because uh, I could hire myself to be a director. No one else was going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it really laid the groundwork for making a really smooth transition to being a director on studio films, uh, particularly uh, at Universal, where they knew me and uh, and and I think they really trusted me, which was tough with those guys. But you know, by the same token, you know, Scheinberg and Wasserman were the people who discovered and nurtured Spielberg. So like Gary Marsh, they were always yeah, somebody, you know, who, who, who might, you know, make them another couple billion. I wasn't that person. <laughs> they might've had hopes at one point. <laughs> Is that what got you into directing? Just because you had such a vision and a passion for this? Is that why you stepped into the director's chair, knowing that it would get the result that you wanted? I can thank the hack who did the Beaver uh, TV movie. <laughs> Uh, I, I would. I was I was producing Happy Days at the time, so I couldn't be around, really. But I'd go to Universal and watch dailies during my Happy Days lunch. Just zip up the the one hundred and one, and watch dailies. And usually I'd go back, I'd go back to to, to Paramount in tears <laughs> at what I was seeing, and and, and and I just never wanted anybody to butcher. Uh, my material again, even though my, it, by many, many accounts and, 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 and numbers, everything, it was hugely successful. Huge, second highest rated movie of the week of the year. But I, 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 I saw what really could have been. And, and, and I think having a, a, a vision of what things can be has, has really been an asset with me. And and then working towards uh, uh, achieving that vision, and uh, and that's what the, the fun part is coming up with it. After that, it's it's drudgery. That's what you know. Hitchcock said, "Storyboard." The rest is, oh my god, I wish I didn't have to do it. You know, I worked it out. You know, <laughs> I know what it looks like. <laughs> Was there a lot of copycats after this? Because usually in film and TV, when an idea works, was there other shows developed that I don't remember? Well, no, I'm the. I guess I'm the copycat. I'm the one doing the Flintstones, Scooby Doo, Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> uh, well, no, no, but I'm saying you did the. It wasn't like you were doing the same exact show. It was them as adults. I mean, like, yes, was there other I, shows? Did they try to? Oh yes. Well, uh, <laughs> Universal tried to do the monsters. I I've tried to do the monsters and always gotten tripped up by people with. I don't know what they want, uh, but a couple times you see. When I've deemed to do revivals and, and, and continuations of franchises, um, I, I want to deliver what I want to see as a fan from, from those characters, from the situations that I adore. Otherwise, why would I be interested in this reboot? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and I... It's not a very large bullseye, but I think when things are done 
by people with tremendous affection and respect for things rather than saying, I want to do my version of it. Yeah, I want to do my version of it, but what I want to do is the best possible version of what I, as a fan of, of, of Full House, of, you know, of, of, of that 70s show, uh, what do you yeah. really want to see from that? And how do you deliver it while expanding the scope and, and, the, and the breadth of the characters? And, and making it making things contemporary and making them realistic to the point you need to to sustain the, the comedy that you want to achieve. Yeah, do the do my three grandsons call the Livingston brothers and maybe they would uh, be on board Barry and Stanley. <laughs> once I once I actually um, Ricky Nelson's four kids came to me once to do uh, to do a show uh, about them. And and uh, and it actually would have been very good because Tracy was a single mother, single working mother, and her two brothers Gunther and the other one, you know Nelson, uh, were having a bit of a downturn. Uh, is is uh, transitioning from teen pop stars to roots artists, and uh, and then they they actually had a little brother that I didn't know about, who was like a uh, crazy computer genius uh, who went to Harvard. Oh, wow. <laughs> And and so and so basically we put a show together about uh, all of them living together and helping and helping uh, Tracy raise her daughter in their grandparents' old house. <laughs> so, wow. uh, but uh, no, nobody ever bit on that. But but I thought that was a, that was a a, a, a realistic uh, way to do you know uh, Ozzy and Harriet, but not do Ozzy and Harriet whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but, you know, there needs to be authenticity. You know, I think, you know, Star Trek has been very fortunate in, in, in their choices and how, how to do continuations of things. And um, and also some very good collectibles. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and just fans aren't stupid. I think they can tell when there's passion involved in a, in a show when they're trying to do a continuation well, or a requel, whatever. Let me ask you this question. Did you see Rob sure. Zombie's Munsters movie? I, I, I didn't try it. I watched the trailer and that was enough for me to be, per to be honest. And, and, and I wanted to see it. And then I saw the trailer and I said, there's no need to make myself sick. Uh, I know, but, but you know, that goes back to, you know, People who really aren't funny, you know. He he's. Let's face it. I couldn't. I couldn't make a, a horror movie that discussed people the way he does. What does it look like? Ha ha ha. Um, but but you know, people who are comedy people generally gravitate to comedy, even if they grow out of it, like Rob Reiner, like Gary Marshall, like James L. Brooks. You, you know. But uh, uh, that's where that's where their heart took them, you know? Just hard to cast that show. I think, I think that's the, that's the heart that, well, that's one of many hard things, but I don't know. I just watched it. It just seems so just not the vibe of the old show. And that's what you kind of look for when well, you look at those. I don't know if you ever saw like the, it only made it to a pilot, but there was 13, Mockingbird 13. Lane. Yeah, Mockingbird Lane. I, that was a cool spin on it, at least. Really? Uh, I, 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 
that was fourteen million dollars they're never going to see again. It's as far oh from my the monsters, it's as far from the monsters as you could get. And that's why I said I don't think people want people to reinvent things. I think they want to capture what they love about it and and yeah. it to a point. And and uh but there's there's an aura that uh shows give up and and, and there's an attachment and I think, it, you know, I've been successful in rekindling those attachments because I'm approaching it as a fan, not as someone trying to put their own stamp or spin. And, and I remember a, a but I'm also, you know, kind of a simple guy, a, a guy from the New York Times uh, interviewing me about the Flintstones said, what do you say uh, when people say that the film isn't ironic enough? And I said, oh, I really don't know what that means. And he thought I was kidding. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but that, no, that's, that's a good like segue. Just, uh, just cause it is so hard to cast. Like, I think, I think that's your, your situation was going from cartoon to casting, obviously a human in like John Goodman and Rick Moranis. But yeah. th- that's what I think Adam's family did in the recent years with the animated movies is I think they got to this point besides Wednesday Adams, which is on, which it, it's, it's okay. It's, it's but, Netflix's biggest hit in a long time. Oh, I know that. No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. But me as a fan, I just think of like Raul Julia and John Aston. Like they yeah. nailed that so good. So it's almost like the studios were like, let's just do cartoon form. I'm surprised they haven't done that with the Munsters yet. To, to get it out there. Well, you know, I don't, I don't think they really want to, no one really wants to stake their career on the Munsters yeah. today. Uh, <laughs> why not? So good. Well, you know, we also have to realize that uh, the Munsters debuted in 1964. This is, <laughs> this is a long time. I know, time. I know. My students have never seen Happy Days or Mark and Mindy, and I don't think they've ever seen wow. All in the Family, and maybe a few have seen a couple Mash or Mary Tyler Moore. But but um, yeah, you know. But look, He Man's coming back. Can't you? Isn't that enough for you? <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I guess so. But uh, so, how does that transit? How does that conversation happen with Universal? That like Problem Child Two is presented was. There are a bunch of films out there, and you audition for that, or do they go to you and say, "Hey, we got this movie"? Or well, well, uh, that's that's a very unique story because uh, Problem Child one, despite and this is c- common knowledge, the, uh, despite a tremendous amount of reshooting and re-editing and, and putting in a lot of music and everything, uh, despite all the difficulties they had, it was very successful, and they actually. Uh, booked a release date before they had a script. So I think they oh wanted God. to be sure that they had a film in time <laughs> to make their release date. And that uh, that had them looking at TV directors. And TV directors, you know, uh, are used to making schedules, you know. And, uh, and I was... I, Universal, the, the top brass, knew me from Beaver, from my other show there, My Secret Identity, which was, so these yeah. were the first, their first syndicated show, and, and, and their first pay cable show, and their, and their first uh, uh, basic cable show. <laughs> uh, <all laughs> uh, and 
and uh, they trusted me. Um, they wanted to shoot the movie in Orlando. Great. I just had opened Universal's studio in Orlando, uh, uh, and we did the last season of Beaver there. John Ritter was a star the year before. I had written two pilots for his company, one of which uh, uh, co-starred Amy Yazbeck, who, who was oh, yeah. a, a later John's wife and widow, and she starred in one of those pilots and was, of course, also in Problem Child. Uh, they had problems with the little boy and his family. Uh, a lot of it stems from, you know, you got to know how to work with kids. Uh, I cut my teeth doing the Bad News Bears and, 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 and Beaver, uh, which is totally built around uh, kids. Uh, and, and so anyways, they had problems with Michael Oliver and his family. And I didn't because I had cast his older brother to be Fonzie's adopted son at, at, at the end of uh, Happy Days. Had the show continued, he would have been a regular. Oh, my gosh. They wanted uh, Jack Warden to reprise his role as Big Ben Healy. And uh, <laughs> I, had, I had produced, as I just said, the Bad News Bears series starring who? Jack Warden. And, and so, and, and plus, uh, my youngest daughter was in the same nursery school as the head of production. So <laughs> put it all together. And, and I was given yeah. a tremendous opportunity and leaped over a lot of very, very experienced people and went out there and made kind of a kick-ass kids comedy, uh, 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 violent, uh, unexpected, uh, going for the throat comedically again and again and again. And uh, it, it worked. And I was very happy with it. And I learned a lot doing it. And uh, what can you say? Uh, it, it paved the way to do a, a, a number more films at Universal, Beethoven, the Flintstones, the Flintstones sequel. And, uh, and I had a TV deal as well and, and cranked out another Problem Child movie. And one of my favorite projects, uh, uh, The Adventures of Captain Zoom in Outer Space, which, uh, which uh, has a, a history of, uh, of, shall we say, inspiring rather than ripped off uh, by Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said it. Oh, yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> That's so great. So how quick did you have to shoot that movie? Was it like, mu- no, like no, a few no, months? That was, Is that, how? that was easy. That was 40, 40, 40 days. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, that was, uh, and, and you know, we had to shoot, I don't know, it was like an 85, 90 page script or something like that. And, uh, you know, they said, you know, you're going to have to shoot two and a half pages a day. I said, I, I, I'm used to shooting seven in a day. But uh, you know, <laughs> what I found in movies is, you know, yes, yes, you can do seven pages and you can do 32, 33 setups a day. Uh, now, in a movie, you're going to shoot fewer pages, but you're going to do a lot more coverage uh, uh, in the scene, meaning the scenes will be composed of far, far, a much higher number of shots. So, yeah. so. Uh, uh, that 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 to me has really been the difference is the extravagance of coverage and, and time and and planning ability. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Which do you like better? Sh- well, did you still keep that same shooting style? Obviously, you said more coverage. Yeah, uh, well, That's yeah, the thing no, now, but I mean, is there uh, one that you prefer to I, the other? I, I never, I never, I, I wasn't, I didn't do anything different in movies than I was doing anywhere else. I uh, shot at the, yeah. you know, at a furious pace, uh, you know, to get, to get things done, to, 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 to keep it moving, to, you know, it can be a, a real grind and uh, you got to make it fun for 85 people. You got to keep it energized. You have to keep the performances fresh and you have to, like you I was talking about with Gary Marshall, uh, build a team. So everyone's working towards a common purpose. Uh, and that's uh, what allows you to work with some, you know, a lot of different kinds of people pulling together. You know, I mean, you know, people always say, well, what's it like, you know, uh, working with Ice Cube? And what they're really saying is, uh, how does how does an old uh, Jewish guy work with Ice Cube? Uh, and, and the answer is that uh, sharing a common vision, that we were able able to uh, really collaborate and, and achieve. Uh, uh, what we what we aimed for and and were at the time uh, his highest grossing film uh, uh, yeah and uh you know and and i i saw it not too long ago and it packs a big comic punch and it keeps punching so we're very proud of that one yeah it gave the world a different view on him you know you know i think before that it was the Friday movies. Yeah, no, it's Boys in the Hood. Yeah, so then that was like, that gave the audience a different way to view him. And then from there, he did some other family movies too. He did obviously a sequel yeah. and a few other family-oriented movies. Yes, no, he, he's he, he's certainly a well-rounded entertainer at this point, you know, and yeah. producer as well. So the only thing that was bad about Are We There, no toys from Are We There Yet. Jingle all the way. I got shells. Happy that I got shells. Uh, you know, Mark, I got shells. Uh. So no, let's talk about your book real quick. Cause I think it's a good transition. So my life and toys, at, at what point did you think about writing a book? Was this something like well, well, leave it to let, be years in the making? Yeah, it, yes. No, it has been many, many years, but let's say that the book is, is really a summation of a half a century is, is a collector of toys, of, of pop memorabilia, and especially how it uh, relates and integrates with, with my work. As I said, you know, Happy Days are 20,000 licensed products, probably half that overall from Mork and Mitty. God knows how many licenses there, there, there ever were for the Flintstones from 1961 yeah. on. Uh, and and uh, the monsters, leave it to be. Everything I've been associated with has also been a huge source of toys. And, you know, I've been collecting, you know, you can say you you started collecting as a kid, but, you know, everything you had, your parents threw out, right? You know, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, coming home from camp one year and my mother had thrown out my comic book collection and our father. And, and needless to say, I was very upset about the comic book collection. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, 
is is you, you start to to get a little older. You know, you you try to recapture a piece of your your youth in many respects. Oh yeah. And the things that remind you of you know, as I said, I grew up in the fifties, and it was a very optimistic time. And and also uh, uh, the largest increase in consumer spending in the history of man. And so much of that was to buy toys for for the baby boomer generation. And the toys became better and more complex and more interesting and more based on the shows that you watch, the cereals you ate. It was, it was all, it was all a, a huge conspiracy to, to boost consumerism. Uh, and, uh, and it was very effective. And I was certainly a, an ambassador uh, to, to that. And, and so, you know, as... As uh, I, frankly, you know, had a little more uh, 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 discretionary income, so much of it went towards toys and building my collections of Mr. Peanut and animation stuff, Popeye stuff, sci-fi stuff, sports stuff, the Beatles, Hulk Hogan. I have a lot of Hulk Hogan. I love Hulk Hogan. Can't stand wrestling. Love Hulk Hogan toys. Colorful, beautiful, display great. He became Hollywood Hulk twice as many toys. So... there comes a point point where where my my line is i don't have room for another olive oil and it's not like everything's in one room like some of my friends whose wives make them keep their batmobiles at the office our entire house thousands and thousands of giant things tiny things watches has some pepper shaker advertising vinyls i have you know i have a one of our prized possessions is a Five foot tall paper mache Bob's Big Boy figure that used to be on the station's Van Nuys Boulevard. Uh, uh, it's no longer there, but on sunny days they would wheel it outside, and uh, we have things like that and, and giant trade signs and neon and uh, it's just it's just everywhere. And uh, and you you look around and say you know one of these days we may just move or. <laughs> Maybe it's time to get rid of this, and and uh, and I thought, well, that's a pity. And I started plotting to to photograph it and to turn it into a book that tells the story of my my illnesses <laughs> in collecting. And I'm very fortunate that my brother-in-law, Joe Pellegrini, is one of the top tabletop photographers in the country. For instance, uh, oh my uh, God, yes, uh, he. Every Subway sandwich you've seen on a billboard, in-store ad, a magazine uh, uh, behind the counter for the past 16 years, he shot. And if he can make a Subway sandwich appetizing, think of what he can do with, with a beautiful Japanese robot. Yeah. Uh, and so for, for about nine years, uh, every time I'd go to Chicago, I'd bring a box of toys and we would spend a furious day unwrapping, cleaning, shooting, wrapping, and send it back and do it again and again and again until we had taken 7,000 photographs that uh, wow. uh, were then, were then uh, over, thanks to COVID, really got an opportunity to work on this. <laughs> and out of that, there are over 1,100 original color photographs in the book. And the book is huge. It's uh, almost a foot tall. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I think it's three and seven eighths inches and 12 inches high. It, it is a, it's a coffee table book, the size of a coffee table. Uh, and oh, man, I got to order it. Oh, that's um, cool. No, I love uh, my wife. does photography as a hobby. And that's uh, we have a bunch of like coffee table books. So that'd be neat to have. So 
Dude, what is like the rarest one you have? Is there something so odd or well, a, a couple of things? Certainly, the Bob's Big Boy is is you know. Oh yeah, something that should be in the Smithsonian. Uh, uh, <sighs> but uh, in our backyard, <laughs> in, in an architectural <laughs> place in Chicago, I found a very neglected twenty-nine by nineteen foot foreshortened Wonder Bread loaf, <laughs> porcelain <laughs> sign weighing thousands and thousands of pounds in 13 pieces. And of course I had it shipped out <laughs> and assembled uh, in my backyard. It used to uh, live atop originally on the Wonder Bread factory in Detroit. Uh, uh, oh and, uh, and, and now I just look out the window and, and there it is. It's a <laughs> you look at it. huge, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I can't tell you how much I love it. But that doesn't mean that I don't feel as strongly about, you know, things I got out of gumball machines and, 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 and different, different, you know, comedian items, you know, some of the Marx Brothers things I own, like a, a, a beautiful, a self-portrait uh, that Groucho uh, did for a fan in 1938. Uh, wow. In care. Yes. No. So, and, and, you know, and I, became kind of close with uh, uh, Han Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera making the Flintstone movie. Oh, nice. Particularly Joe Barbera, who was really a very cool, cool, as cool a guy as you'll ever see in his 90s, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, he sent me, he, he wrote in his autobiography, uh, which is was also My Life in Tunes, which was kind of the inspiration for my life and toys, uh, uh, yeah. which is all taken from Charles Dickens' My Life and Times. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'd rather take it from Joe. Um, and in it, he wrote the most beautiful inscription you could ever uh, ask for one of your, from one of your childhood heroes and somebody who was uh, incredibly confident, uh, understood his place in the culture and was proud of it, but, you know, wasn't affected by it, really decent, down-to-earth, hard-working still, uh, you know, at, at his advanced age. And, and uh, damn, uh, probably the, he, he and his partner were the most satisfied people I, I'd ever, ever come across. And uh, uh, to... For, for him to respond to my work uh, the way he did again and again uh, was uh, a joy and and and, and uh, unexpected truly since you collect were you one person to collect things from sets like happy days no no collect? the last well yes from happy days I took I took uh, I wrote an episode uh, I, I basically I did the pilot for happy days we never saw which was, how did Richie and Fonzie meet? And so we did a flashback episode, and Fonzie was in, in a gang then, in the Falcons. And at the end of the season, I asked to take one of the Falcons jackets home, and, and I wore that thing until the pockets uh, wore out, literally. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, the last thing someone wants to see is somebody, you know, number one on the call sheet, uh, walking out with a bunch of free stuff, you know? It's not good for morale. So I never know. I never, I never really did stuff like that. A couple of little pieces from the Flintstones. Uh, you know, Fred's license plate, <laughs> Yabadoo. Nice. Uh, That's cool. 
Yeah. But you know, <laughs> no, it's no, so cool I, when you, when I came, when I came on and I saw just your behind you and seeing uh, yeah. that gigantic turbo man dial oh. and that movie, you just think of how cool that movie, cause it invented a character and had a toy just from that movie, which is sort of rare. You, there's not a lot of times like, but that's how I decided to do it. Page one, page one is uh, it opened with manufacturing turbo man. So I said, Oh my God, I get to design a toy line. Oh my God. You really, Oh, it's the hottest toy in the world. Oh my God. He's going to, the super, this is going to be huge. And of course it wasn't, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, it was, it was a great process to design turbo man and try to create a contemporary version of, the Rocketeer of Commander Cody, uh, you know, who uh, another one from the 50s uh, uh, that I loved, you know, where he'd, he'd just take off and, and they'd cut to a stock shot of him flying. Uh, and, and the amazing thing is after all that effort, all that work, that we created a hero that looks incredibly like Iron Man. It was very rewarding last year on Jingle All the Way's 25th anniversary that the toy that uh, Tiger Toys made uh, of Turbo Man, which which we envisioned as being the hottest selling toy in America, just sat on the shelves well into March. But today is a, uh, the originals are a collector's item. And on the 25th anniversary that Funko would not only reproduce that toy, as a Walmart exclusive that became literally the hottest toy in America and, 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 and a line of Funko Pops, five different Funko Pops, uh, 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 very clever images uh, of the people and moments from the film. Uh, and so it took a long time, but we got there. <laughs> but you were right. You know, you could go to whoever doubted you and you'd be like, see? Yeah, well, uh, the next time, you know, in like 99, Fox sent us a letter saying, we're not even going to bother sending out profit and loss statements because this will never, ever, ever make any money. Uh, and uh, I don't know. So now it's 26 years later. Maybe they're wrong. <laughs> I'd like to find out. Such a good Honestly, the movie's so good. I showed my daughter. She's four. And it was just so funny. Like, Phil, like obviously, like uh, just the comedy of Arnold in a situation like this and him fighting everyone and uh yeah no i, I love the movie and phil hartman <laughs> phil well great loss but um oh, I know. It, it was a, a a tough movie to make because uh we set the bar very high uh, on stunts on action and uh and on comedy and you know it was the first time that arnold truly had to carry a comedy on his on his shoulders and literally scene to scene, which is one of the hardest jobs uh, in, in storytelling. It, it really is. Uh, and, and I don't think people understand, you know, that, you know, it, it, it's easy to be funny, uh, you know, when you're not responsible for it. Look at the difference between Phil Hartman in the movie and Arnold. You know, Phil is just yeah. every time he's on camera, bam, boom, boom. But he's not lugging this this heavy emotional tale on his back, uh, <laughs> on his quest, this uh, Don Quixote-ish journey uh, 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 through through the commercialism of Christmas. Yeah, now Phil's with all the moms in the neighborhood. 
That's the best part. That's right. So all the fathers are out working, and, and he's banging them uh, in the afternoon. Yeah, a real reindeer. Yeah, a real reindeer. <laughs> well, not the one he slugged. That was a wonderful animatronic that was even made to snort steam. <laughs> was Arnold always attached, or no? Uh, uh, they wanted it to be a movie for Arnold originally. Originally, I believe oh, okay. the idea was to get Dan Stern to play Howard. Oh, Davis. okay. And then someone had wow. the idea. Let's team up Arnold and Danny DeVito. Arnold said yes. Danny said no. <laughs> and Wait, who's he? Oh, Danny would have been Sinbad? Yes. Oh, my God. So, you know, in the short run, DeVito made the right decision. Uh, <laughs> but it opened the door for Sinbad. And, you know, I wanted someone who who – wasn't afraid to tangle with who a big, I wanted a big guy. I didn't want Arnold picking on, you know, Peter Scolari, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I wanted somebody who could, you know, who could, you know, bang him in, in, into the newspaper rack and fight him for the telephone and, and, uh, and tackle him and, and all this other stuff. So Sinbad uh, was a great choice, and and, and he, uh, and he, uh, yeah, I'm doing better after uh, recovering from a terrible stroke, but uh, at the time he had such uh, wonderful energy, very creative, hard worker, and uh, uh, they really gelled well. It became a terrific little rivalry, and I had a good time with them. Although I got to tell you a story. Last time I where I can't even remember what city I was. I don't think it was Chicago or L.A. But I'm sitting there with my wife. We're having a coffee or something. And I see Sinbad hustling to a plane. And, 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 I, and I rush out. I go, hey, Sinbad. And he says, hey, nice to see you, man. And he keeps, I said, no, Sinbad, it's Brian Levant. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, was that his first big movie that he was like in uh, a no, actually, big lead role? He and Phil Hartman, I can't remember the, the name of it. Yeah, the house the house guest? The house guest, yes. They, they that was got, before that? Okay, I didn't know well, what was I, first. I think he'd also done, uh, you know, First Kid or something like that as well. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I knew they were all bunched around each other. I didn't know which one was first. But no, that's uh, – no, yeah, especially yeah, DeVito and him bumping each other wouldn't be too good. But first he said no to that. He said yes to Junior, and but he said no to this movie. Well, you know, that was Ivan. You know, Ivan had a powerful hold oh, of actors, which was, <laughs> hey, I make hits. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, what are uh, what are some things that you have coming up? Obviously, we can't cover everything that well, you have on your IMDb. We can't cover everything I have coming up because, uh, you know, as I said, the book is very much a summation because uh, I, I think, yeah. you know, uh, I'm not planning on making movies. I'd certainly be open to it if the right thing came along. It rarely has. Uh, in the last few years, I have been teaching uh, for the past six years at both the University of Arizona and the University of New Mexico. Uh, cool. Doing a sitcom boot camp where uh, I take small groups of kids and we uh, create, develop, write, rewrite, 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 and rewrite an original ha uh, half-hour streaming network-style show. 
and conclude with a reading for an audience and live stream uh, with local uh, professionals and student performers. And it's been a very successful program and, and very rewarding, and uh, I, I'm still enjoying that. I have one film in development at Illumination, uh, an original CGI uh, musical that I created. Nice. Uh, been in development for a couple of years there. They, I hope I live to see it if it comes out. These things take so long. But that is being produced <laughs> and the music written by Pharrell Williams. So uh, very, okay. uh, very happy about that. And, uh, uh, you know, it may be a, 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 a nice way to go out eventually. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm planning uh, a couple more books. I'm, uh, I, I really, you know, as much as I consider myself a writer, I also uh, thought I could be a studio artist and I may take another swipe at, at that as well. What do you, what's your medium? Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> Probably <laughs> more of a sculptor because I'm not that good at drawing. But, but you know, as I'm really pushing myself away from the 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 media table uh, a little bit, it, it gives you opportunity to try other things and fulfill the creative urge uh, without involving 85 other people <laughs> every yeah. day. And uh, you, you know, I, I started. The, that journey, you know, I submitted my first jokes to kids shows, Chicago, when I was in third grade. I always, oh, wow. for, you know, class, high school, local papers, started making films at 10. And so I've been doing this uh, a, a, literally a long, 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 long time. <laughs> and, and, you know, you get to the point where you have satisfied uh those, uh, you know, this itchy, like is if you had measles that you couldn't scratch that itch enough yeah. to ever uh, satisfy. But, you know, when, when I realized when I stopped looking at the box office every, every Saturday and Sunday morning that uh, the, the, uh, I was winning the battle against addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Are, but I think you said it best. It's about it's about like when you're creative, you know, you have your you have a new outlet because it keeps your mind active. Like that's so important. I hope so to I'm, keep I'm, it going. Yeah, no, but uh, like I said, it, it you know it, it really took a lot out of me because I worked a, a, a very very hard and at a very high level. I mean, usually usually when I'd finish a film. I hole up in a hotel room and like sleep. I'm not kidding for like 30, 36 hours. Uh, uh, you know, just a tremendous expense of, of, of energy for prolonged over months. Uh, and uh, with, with virtually no time off, you know, uh, if you're not shooting, you're prepping, you're preparing, you're casting, you're, you're editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying to be a human. It's, it's a tough job. Uh, it really, and I guess that's why, that's why it pays well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that was on, I know IMDb is never right, but I was hoping they were in this case, it yeah. has on your IMDb in development, uh, a, the next installment of the police Academy series. Yes. No, that's another one who, whose time has passed. I'm afraid. Uh, but that was <sighs> a, a wonderful project. We were assured by Warner brothers when I put together an all-star team of writers. Uh, 
to try and come together and take some of the existing and surviving members of Police Academy, surround them with a new group of recruits. And, and I, I always felt that, that it was a very successful franchise. I never oh, yeah. related to it creatively. I thought it could be done much better. And I think the group uh, uh, that we put together, including Bennett Yellen, who you know wrote Dumb and Dumber with the Fairley Brothers and other films, oh, with okay. Line, who, who who created uh, uh, the Larry Sanders Show and, nice. and, and, and and Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, uh, uh, Brad Morris from Second City, and, and produced Dice's Show. Dave Richardson, uh, supervising producer uh, of The Simpsons, uh, exec on. on uh, on Two and a Half Men and, and, and an exec on uh, F is for Family with Bill Barr. Uh, nice. Uh, we, we really went to work uh, on this, and we really delivered. And, and uh, Warner Brothers just couldn't see to spend the money. And we're, not, we're talking like an extra million dollars to achieve what we wanted to do. And so it's, it just kind of fell apart. And... Yes, and I keep saying, well, take it to a streaming service. But the division at Warner's, who was developed for, well, if they're selling stuff to streaming services, then you don't need them anymore, do you? So <laughs> Yeah, right. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I would love another one, man. I love talking to Lance. I talked yeah. to Lance Kinsey a few years ago. Just yeah, such yeah. a nicest guy. Like he'll email me randomly. And yeah. it's cool because when I talk to him, I think it's so great about that franchise. Because it's really hard, I think, for comedy franchises to get past like three or four films and still be good. And right behind his desk, uh, he had the Police Academy Six poster, and I thought that I think I, I really like that one. There, they did a series, they did an animated series. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, and they they had a, a decent toy line from the uh, from the series. They, 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 you have some of those movies. <laughs> no, you have I a high tower. Actually, I would have. I had. The, <laughs> Had the movie gone, I, I would have, and I also would have pressed for somebody to make uh, from the original films uh, a line of toys with Bubba Smith right. and, and, and and all that group. Tackle, you gotta have Tackleberry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he it ever had like, a gun because he was shooting ever at everyone. Almost <laughs> killed his own father in one of the movies. <laughs> almost killed guns in horseshoes. Uh, you know it's not real Brian (laughs) yeah (laughs) Brian it's been awesome man thanks so much for taking the time I'll make sure when this is out in the next month month and a half uh, I'll obviously send you a link and I'll make sure to link your uh, your book where can people get it anywhere Amazon Uh, or website link Amazon because it is uh, the cheapest there okay down to $50 from 85. Nice. So uh, that's a substantial reduction. Not because they're closing out. I guess when you hit a certain sales, they try to get more sales by lowering it. So yeah. let, let them go. Let them go, baby. <laughs> All right. This has been fun. Man, Brian was great. I loved just the connection throughout his career. Like I mentioned in the intro from loving Leave it to Beaver as a kid, the new Leave it to Beaver, and then doing the, the Leave it to Beaver movie in the late 90s. And Jingle All the Way, the fact that, wow, Danny DeVito, I could not imagine him in that role. Sinbad was perfect. Talked to little Flintstones and his toys, man. Bob's big boy. Man, cool little things that he has. He, he's a collector, and I really, the one thing I do wish is whoever listens to this, maybe a higher 
hire executives and they just say, you know what? People do want a new Police Academy movie. So I know I do. So uh, thanks, Brian. And don't forget, I'll put the link to his book on Amazon in the episode notes so you can check it out. Any other links that he has too. So your homework is to watch Problem Child 2, Worth It. You got John Ritter, Jack Warden, and man, Junior, the actor that plays Junior, he's just so good. Gilbert Godfrey's back in this movie. The plot of this movie is hilarious, I think, right from the jump. So yeah, so don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.